Grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Before I begin my sermon today, I'd like to sing a Christmas song as a solo. Kelly, give me a note. Uh, which, which note? Um, which note? Um, I've got 88 of any, any note will do. I can hit them all. Just give me a note. Uh, let's go a little lower. A little lower. Eh, a lot lower. Yeah, okay. All right, we're ready. Eyes up here. Eyes up here. <laughs> Don't look at the man behind the curtain. I didn't lie to you. I told you I was singing a solo. It was so low you couldn't hear me. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm doing this kind of in a clever way, but there's a point to all of this. You're, you hear that song. In fact, there's a Christian radio station that plays it over and over again. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. And I have to tell you, that song always bothers me because there's one line in it that says, through the years we will be together if the fates allow. Now, it doesn't say fate, which we don't believe in. We don't believe in fate as Christians. But it says the fates, which is even worse. Because this comes from Greek and Roman mythology that there were three goddesses that controlled our lives. And they loved to play with humans and put obstacles in their path. And people would say, well, it's not my fault, it's just the fates. In fact, even the author of that song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, realized the mistakes. He was uh, a musician with a Christian band, and in 2001, he changed the words to that song. And he changed it, and he said, it's Have Yourself a Blessed Christmas. And the reason I wanted to share that with you today is because I think there's a lot of people in our world who have merry little Christmases without Christ in it. And if Christ is not in Christmas, you know what you have left? A mess. And I don't want that for us. I don't want a merry little Christmas. I want us to have a really blessed Christmas. And that's why I started this A Purpose for Advent series. As we're getting ready, I wanted us to look at what makes for a blessed Christmas. And today I want to talk about something very important, that this is a time for us to look at our salvation. In our lesson, we've been looking at how the angels come and share that good news. And at Jesus' birth, the angel said, Today in the city of David, there is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Surveys of the American population, about 90% of everybody says that they pray. You know what that says to me? It suggests that people recognize their need for somebody greater than themselves. Someone who can help them with their problems. 
someone who can rescue them from a tight spot and ultimately save them from something that they can't save themselves from. But how do we know that this Jesus we talk about is the Savior, the Messiah that was promised? He didn't just say he was the Savior. He showed it. You know, even that question, are you the Messiah, was at the time of Jesus. Remember John the baptizer comes, and he's in prison, and he hears about Jesus and everything he's doing, and he sends his disciples to ask him, are you the one to come? In effect, he's saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Or should I expect somebody else? Now, here we have John, the baptizer, who is sent by God to prepare the way for the Savior. And in effect, he's asking Jesus, how do I know you're really the right one? In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, we read it earlier, it says the Savior will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer and the muted tongue shout for joy. This is how we know that the person is the Savior. The eyes of the blind are opened. How do we know Jesus is that Messiah? Because Jesus fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies. Everything God said about him came true in his life, in his teachings. When John the Baptist's disciples came to ask Jesus if he was the Savior, Jesus replied this way, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. I'm saying I'm the Messiah, I'm saying I'm the Savior, but I'm going to prove it in my actions. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. He didn't just say it. He proved it in his actions. And it goes even further than that. Only God could do what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing in this life can only be done by the power of God. Jesus goes on to say to the disciples of John, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. Only God could raise the dead as Jesus did. Only God could perform the miracles that Jesus are performing. He is the Messiah, and he proves it. Well, if he is the Savior, what does Jesus save us from? Jesus came to save us from sin and death. In Isaiah, it shows us what our sins does. It says your iniquities, your sins have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that the Lord will not hear. It, it's as if a wall is erected because of our sins between us and God. In the temple of Jesus' day, it was symbolized by a curtain that hang in front of the Holy of Holies. 
And only the high priest could go into that holy of holies, into God's presence, one day a year. And he was the intercessor between the people and God. Because we have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And we're justified freely by his grace. And that redemption, that salvation, came by Jesus Christ. We all need that. And John, in his letter, made that very clear, that Jesus is the one who did that. He said he's the atoning sacrifice. What is this atoning sacrifice? We don't, we receive the forgiveness of sins purely out of grace. It's free to us. But Jesus pays the price for our sins. He atoned. The Old Testament says that there is no forgiveness without a blood sacrifice. And Jesus fulfilled that in his death on the cross. So he became that atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. And not only for us, but for the sins of all mankind for all time. On the cross of Calvary, all the sins of all people for all time rested on Jesus' shoulders. And because he saves us from sin and death, he opens up a way to God. At his death, that curtain that symbolized separation from God is torn in two. Some of you might know um, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were written by a group of people, the Essenes, who went out into the desert area to be able to worship and praise God the way they felt it should be. And they called what they, their movement, what they did, the way of the Lord. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he says to the people, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We have access to God Almighty, symbolized by the, that curtain being torn apart. We have access to God without any mediator. Isaiah says a highway will be there when the Messiah comes. It's going to be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. Do you know what the earliest church was called? Not Christians. Christians was a derogatory term. At first it was called the way. Because Jesus opened the way. He allows us to go on that walk to eternal life. And it says it will be for those who walk on that way only the redeemed. Only those who have salvation in Christ will walk there. And because of that, we have a new life now. Knowing that we have salvation in Christ changes how we live and how we die in this life. Paul said we are buried with him through baptism into death. We placed our baptismal font in the center of our sanctuary. Before I came to Fishers of Ben, I was at Pilgrim, and I convinced them to put it in the center of the church there also. And, and one of my lay members said to me, well, what if somebody walks in and trips over it? 
and you know, sometimes I have, you know me. <laughs> and I just looked at this guy and I said, they'll remember how they got into the church, won't they? Through baptism. This is central to how we come to faith. In this holy baptism, we die with Christ, what? To live a new life. We are transformed in this and throughout our whole lives. We are given holy communion to empower us to live that each and every day. And it says, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can live new lives. Finally, this means we should rejoice in this salvation, especially as we celebrate Christmas, the birth of this Savior who came to do so much for us. I'm going to talk about that celebration next week, a time for celebration. Isaiah said, in the day of the Messiah, in the day of the Savior, the Lord who he has rescued, those who he has rescued will return. Us. They will enter Zion, the holy place, with singing, everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the good news is this. Jesus Christ was born into this world to save you. Save you from your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups, your sins. And Jesus opens a path to God and gives us a new life. As we prepare in 10 days, you heard that, in 10 days, let us prepare not for a little Christmas, but a blessed Christmas. Let us rejoice each and every day in our salvation. Amen? Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.